Hi, I am Miles Herbert, and this is Think Sustainability. Today's episode starts at a refugee camp in Lebanon's Bekaa Valley. The living conditions within a shack are pretty dismal. And so you walk into, into a shack, it's essentially made of tin sheeting with very rudimentary rain insulation. On the inside of the shacks, it's, it's um, hardly any furniture. Uh, there's some mattresses on the ground and uh, uh, some just basic um, uh, wooden cupboards and, 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 and essentially it's... The dire living conditions in refugee camps, like the ones in Lebanon, have often been a focus for international humanitarian attention. And as the years go by and refugees across the world remain in limbo, living conditions are getting worse. Uh, infectious disease issues to do with polluted water. That tells you something about some of the issues that, that are there. Many who are uprooted from their homes during violent conflict or who have suffered religious persecution travel countless miles in search of safety only to face new and perilous circumstances. Issues of waste. Uh, so you find that's one complaint that refugees have about the frequency at which waste is collected and waste is managed. Only a small number of the more than 2 million refugees in Lebanon reside in the Bekaa Valley. But this number is most likely underestimated. The numbers are staggering. The United Nations stopped registering new refugees in 2015. So Lebanon, I think the figure is is over 200 per 1,000, which means a fifth of the population is a refugee population. There are more than 10 million refugees worldwide, and their needs, like the needs of the refugees in Lebanon, are often forgotten and overlooked. Even the services of a country that is rich and, 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 and competent would struggle with something like this. And so from the point of view of the refugees, it can be quite a scary environment as well. This is Abbas Elzane. And I work at the University of Sydney, teaching and doing research on environmental engineering. Abbas is from Lebanon originally. So I left Lebanon in 1986 after I finished my first degree. And last year, he started going back and chatting. With the refugees, with some of the people providing services to the refugees with the municipal um, uh, authorities um, looking after or not looking after those camps and so on. So that was last year. So this is all, it was all June 2017. So still pretty fresh though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, in this part of the world, it's, 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 um, it, it's a big problem ever since, well, for a long time now. started in 1948 with the Palestinian refugees who went into a neighboring country. Countless who fled violence and persecution are banned from ever returning. Today, nearly but then, obviously, things got a lot worse uh, since the invasion of Iraq with all the Iraqi refugees. The occupation was followed by a sectarian war, and now ISIS is on a bloody rampage across the region. 
All this created one of the worst refugee crises in history, with millions of Iraqis displaced, and those numbers only continue to grow. And then later the, is, the, the Syrian, um, uh, the Arab Spring and, and, and the Syrian um, revolution, which ended up turning into a civil war, which produced a lot of refugees. There are more than a million Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And Lebanon bore the brunt, uh, along with Jordan and Turkey, basically, the neighboring countries surrounding Syria. But while these issues have rightly garnered the limited humanitarian attention and aid available, the refugee crisis has created another unseen impact. There's no doubt that whenever you have a large group of people settling in a piece of land, particularly quickly and, and, and under, under emergency conditions, there's no doubt that there's going to be some stress on the day-to-day -day resources. Typically, environmental considerations are put aside while refugees deal with the urgent health and education needs caused by fleeing war-torn countries and religious persecution. But these concerns don't exist in isolation from the environmental ones. Today on Think Sustainability, the global refugee crisis is not just a humanitarian and political issue. It's an environmental one. And is Australia doing its part? Are refugee camps planned? I doubt it very much, because by definition, the environmental impact process is a process that implies knowing beforehand the, um, that a particular development is going to take place. And this is certainly at the early stage of the arrival of refugees. This is not, this is not possible. It's, it's by definition, these events happen suddenly and, and you have to deal with them as they occur. Inevitably, the, the environmental consideration receive lower priority. But this doesn't mean that there are not serious environmental concerns and the land that is providing refuge for the fleeing population is not itself suffering. The land will be more degraded um, uh, uh, around the camp. The obvious one is always that the wooden areas around the, uh, the woods around, around the refugee camps tend to get depleted quite quickly because that's the first thing people do. They go and get some, they go and get some, uh, some wood. So there's no doubt that is an issue. Living conditions within refugee camps are often characterized by limited resources. The provision of water, provision of food. So inhabitants tend to depend on the environment around them in ways they normally would not. If you need to heat your home during winter, you need to go find the firewood yourself. We know that there is a, a positive feedback loop, positive, as in a reinforcing feedback loop, whereby if you cut down trees it's much more likely for rain and wind 
to cause erosion. One of the one of the ecosystem functions of of trees is to protect the land from erosion. So once you cut down trees, depending on what you do with the land, uh, but automatically you expose it to rain and water, which are more more likely to cause erosion. And these environmental issues are often made worse by the lack of international and local government aid provided to the refugees. Syrian refugees alone now represent the equivalent of 25% of the total Lebanese population of around 4 million. The influx of such numbers would present a fundamental challenge to even the most organized governments. The more common way uh, that, that it manifests itself is again through poor quality provision of services by whatever authority is uh, entrusted in doing that. Waste, for example. So, provision of waste management. Lebanon has been going through a crisis of waste for nearly 10 years now. There was a whole campaign calling a Twitter campaign and social media campaign called "You Stink," uh, addressed at politicians about corruption and the the inability of the political class to manage uh, to manage waste. And so, again, the arrival of a million uh, more refugees is bound to add to that. According to the Lebanon Environmental Assessment of the Syrian conflict in September of 2014, there has been a 15% increase in the amount of solid waste since the influx of refugees in the country. Typically what you will find is because of the second class status, the kind of waste services that are provided to the refugees uh, by the government because that's typically a public service so it's provided by public authorities is inevitably going to be poorer quality and with nowhere to go this waste builds up quickly and can soon start contaminating a already limited water supply why is the water contaminated the problem is um, that some of that water while it is stored in the camp can get contaminated because because of management it could be that the sources of water they're buying is 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 poor it could be some that the sub, water supplied by the municipality is is poor quality humanitarian agencies in lebanon have attributed the poor water quality which contained bacteria levels 10 times higher than the world health organization guidelines with a number of health issues prominent in refugee camps around the world you might be suffering from the environmental impact for example of poor water quality uh, by having some children uh, diarrhea for example is one of the big issues in the camp that are visited what the refugees are saying if what you listen to what the refugees are saying they never going to say, they never tell us fix the environment for us what they're saying is that i've got a kid who's suffering from diarrhea i need access to good medicine uh, i need good water So not only do refugees have a negative impact on the environment, but the environmental deterioration around them is having an adverse impact on refugees. However, 
it needs to be put in perspective. That's coming up after the break. You are listening to Think Sustainability. I am Miles Herbert. It might seem easy to blame refugees for the environmental decline around them, and refugees are often vilified for this very thing. But Abbas says it's not really their fault. Often, refugees are settled in land that is already marginal, in land that is already degraded. And it's the same pattern which sees a link between poverty and environmentally degraded land. Not because poor people degrade the land, but because degraded land is likely to be cheaper and therefore poor people are much more likely to live on degraded land. So the the, the correlation goes the other way. The causation goes the other way. And so I think it's the same dynamic. Yeah, and it might be on areas where, you know, there's some toxic residues or, you know, exactly because the area is not, if you like, vacant or empty for no reason, particularly in countries where there's a lot of overcrowding. So there's going to be something about where they are. It's either subject to flooding or it's muddy and disgusting or there's insect infestations, that kind of thing, that will make it an unattractive spot as well. So people are not being put on prime real estate with access to resources, that's for sure. This is Professor Roberta Ryan from the University of Technology, Sydney. And I'm the director of the Institute for Public Policy and Governance. Refugee settlements, like the ones in Lebanon's Bekaa Valley, are built in already fragile ecosystems and combined with the host country's inability to provide adequate resources, it can lead to a devastating reality for refugees and the environment alike. These things go on for years and years and they become forgotten people. And as the more than 10 million people who are currently seeking asylum throughout the world are forgotten, so too is the environment. It's often a lesser consideration than the kind of understanding what it is people are fleeing from or what it is they're trying to get to. But of course, on the way, there's a lot of implications for the host countries and for the environment in which they're living. Roberta says any of the physical and social infrastructure that we don't think about, because it's an expectation of the country and society we live in, clean air, clean water. Being able to go to the bathroom, being able to have a shower, um, being able to send our kids to school, uh, being able to see a doctor, all of those things are not available to these very vulnerable populations. So even though the environmental impacts are well documented, And it is an area of concern. Worrying about the ecological impacts of refugee settlements are pretty low order for the governments of the host countries and the people that are settling there. They are more concerned with finding the next meal and making sure their families have access to clean water. But of course, they're all connected, aren't they? Because without uh, having access to clean water, I mean, they're part of the environmental 
dimensions. A degraded environment affects people's health. These are fundamental basic issues which of which we lose sight of in developed countries like Australia because there's an expectation that they exist. We talk about environmental issues being addressed through behaviour change and people valuing the environment, but of course when people are uh, traumatised, concerned for their safety, have become homeless and are often uh, moving from very violent circumstances, the environment is a, becomes a low-order consideration for them, but it's an important concern for all of us because these are part of the long-term consequences which are forgotten in these terrible geopolitical circumstances that lead to people becoming you know, mobile and migrant populations. One thing I think it's always important to keep in mind, uh, it's important to keep in mind the global picture. This is Abbas Alzane again. It's always important, I think, to ask ourselves and our politicians, why do these refugees exist? And to look at the global picture of, of refugee distribution. 85% of the world's displaced people have been settled in developing countries. With more than one-third of them, hosted in the world's least developed countries. Some of the reasons why refugees are distributed in this way is geographical. And this makes sense. The countries with the highest number of refugees are, like Lebanon, close to countries like Syria, who are in the middle of a civil war. However, that doesn't explain the persistence of the inequality, of the staggering inequality in uh, the distribution of refugees, where you find... Uh, 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 poor countries, um, uh, countries or middle-income or low-income countries have bear the biggest burden of refugee populations. The countries with the most applications for asylum are actually developed countries, countries like the United States, Germany, and Australia. Countries that are not just more equipped to handle large refugee populations financially, but also environmentally. I think many of us feel as though we should have a more generous uh, refugee policy. But the United States has stopped resettling refugees from Syria indefinitely. And Australia is currently detaining asylum seekers in offshore detention centres. We, of course, should be opening our borders in an international context way beyond what we currently do. The country with the largest proportionate number of refugees besides Lebanon is Nauru, home of the Nauru Regional Processing Centre, an offshore immigration detention facility operated by the Australian government which seeks to stop asylum seekers from settling in Australia by boat. People fear the unknown. We are a country that's relatively isolated. Australia, on the other hand, is only the 57th most welcoming country to displaced people. People are not familiar with, on the whole, some of the complex circumstances that lead to people becoming uh, homeless or having to leave their countries of origin and 
I think it's difficult for Australians to understand how we can better support these countries. By not doing our fair share, we could be turning a blind eye, not just to people in need, but the environmental impacts that are coming with this global refugee crisis. Thanks for listening to Think Sustainability. Today's show was produced on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. Thank you to Abbas Elzane and Roberto Ryan. If you liked the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help other people find the show. I have been Miles Herbert, and I will catch you guys again next week.